Chapter Five of Little Fuzzy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Little Fuzzy by H. Beam Piper. Chapter Five. Victor Grego crushed out his cigarette slowly and deliberately. Yes, Leonard, he said patiently. It's very interesting and doubtless an important discovery, but I can't see why you're making such a production of it. Are you afraid I'll blame you for letting non-company people beat you to it? Or do you merely suspect that anything Bennett Rainsford's mixed up in is necessarily a diabolical plot against the company, and, by consequence, human civilization? Leonard Kellogg looked pained. What I was about to say, Victor, is that both Rainsford and this man Holloway seem convinced that these things they call fuzzies aren't animals at all. They believe them to be sapient beings. Well, that's— He bit that off short as the significance of what Kellogg had just said hit him. "'Good God, Leonard! I beg your pardon abjectly. I don't blame you for taking it seriously. Why, that would make Zarathustra a Class Four inhabited planet.' "'For which the company holds a Class Three charter,' Kellogg added, "'for an uninhabited planet. Automatically void if any race of sapient beings were discovered on Zarathustra.' "'You know what'll happen if this is true.' "'Well, I should imagine the charter would have to be renegotiated.' And now that the Colonial Office knows what sort of a planet this is, they'll be anything but generous with the company. They won't renegotiate anything, Leonard. The Federation Government will simply take the position that the company has already made an adequate return on the original investments, and they'll award us what we can show is in our actual possession, I hope, and throw the rest into the public domain. The vast plains on Beta and Delta continents, with their herds of veldt-beast, all open range, and every beast that didn't carry a company brand a maverick, and all the untapped mineral wealth and the untilled arable land, it would take years of litigation even to make the company's claim to big blackwater stick, and Terra Baldur Marduk's baselines would lose their monopolistic franchise and get sticky about it in the courts, and in any case the company's import-export monopoly would go out the airlock, and the squatters rushing in and swamping everything— "'Why, we won't be any better off than the Yggdrasil Company, squatting on a guano heap in one continent,' he burst out. Five years from now they'll be making more money out of bat-dung than we'll be making out of this whole world.' And the company's good friend and substantial stockholder, Nick Emmett, would be out too, and a colonial governor-general would move in, with regular army troops and a complicated bureaucracy. Elections and a representative parliament, and every Tom, Dick, and Harry with a grudge against the company would be trying to get laws passed, and, of course, a Native Affairs Commission with its nose in everything. "'But they couldn't just leave us without any kind of a charter,' Kellogg insisted. Who was he trying to kid besides himself? It wouldn't be fair, as though that clinched it. It isn't our fault.' He forced more patience into his voice. "'Leonard, please try to realise that the Terran Federation Government doesn't give one shrill soprano hoot on Niflheim, whether it's fair or not, or whose fault what is. The Federation Government's been repenting that charter they gave the company ever since they found out what they'd chartered away. Why, this planet is a better world than Terra ever was, even before the Atomic Wars. Now, if they have a chance to get it back, with improvements, you think they won't take it? And what will stop them?' If those creatures over on Beta Continent are sapient beings, our charter isn't worth the parchment it's embossed on, and that's an end of it. He was silent for a moment. You heard that tape Brainsford transmitted to Jimenez. Did either he or Holloway actually claim, in so many words, that these things really are sapient beings? 
"'Well, no, not in so many words. Holloway consistently alluded to them as people, but he's just an ignorant old prospector. Rainsford wouldn't come out and commit himself one way or another, but he left the door wide open for anybody else to.' Accepting their account, could these fuzzies be sapient? Accepting the account, yes, Kellogg said in distress. They could be. They probably were, if Leonard Kellogg couldn't wish the evidence out of existence. Then they'll look sapient to these people of yours who went over to Beta this morning, and they'll treat it purely as a scientific question and never consider the legal aspects. Leonard, you'll have to take charge of the investigation before they make any reports everybody'll be sorry for. Kellogg didn't seem to like that. It would mean having to exercise authority and getting tough with people, and he hated anything like that. He nodded very reluctantly. "'Yes, I suppose I will. Let me think about it for a moment, Victor.' One thing about Leonard, you handed him something he couldn't delegate or dodge, and he'd go to work on it. Maybe not cheerfully, but conscientiously. "'I'll take Ernst Mallon along,' he said at length. This man, Rainsford, has no grounding whatever in any of the psychosciences. He may be able to impose on Ruth or Therese, but not on Ernst Mallon. Not after I've talked to Mallon first. He thought some more. We'll have to get these fuzzies away from this man Holloway, then we'll issue a report of discovery, being careful to give full credit to both Rainsford and Holloway. We'll even accept the designation they've coined for them— but we'll make it very clear that while highly intelligent, the Fuzzies are not a race of sapient beings. If Rainsford persists in making any such claim, we will brand it as a deliberate hoax. Do you think he's gotten any report off to the Institute of Xenosciences yet? Kellogg shook his head. I think he wants to trick some of our people into supporting his sapiens' claims, at least corroborating his and Holloway's alleged observations. That's why I'll have to get over to Beta as soon as possible. By now Kellogg had managed to convince himself that going over to Beta had been his idea all along, probably also convincing himself that Rainsford's report was nothing but a pack of lies. Well, if he could work better that way, that was his business. He will before long, if he isn't stopped, and a year from now there'll be a small army of investigators here from Terra. By that time you should have both Rainsford and Holloway thoroughly discredited— "'Leonard, you get those fuzzies away from Holloway, and I'll personally guarantee they won't be available for investigation by then.' "'Fuzzies,' he said reflectively. "'Fur-bearing animals, I take it.' Holloway spoke on the tape of their soft and silky fur. "'Good. Emphasise that in your report. As soon as it's published, the company will offer two thousand sols apiece for fuzzy pelts.' "'By the time Rainsford's report brings anybody here from terror, we may have them all trapped out.' Kellogg began to look worried. "'But, Victor, that's genocide.' "'Nonsense. Genocide is defined as the extermination of a race of sapient beings. These are fur-bearing animals. It's up to you and Ernst Mallon to prove that.' The fuzzies, playing on the lawn in front of the camp, froze into immobility, their faces turned to the west. Then they all ran to the bench by the kitchen door and scrambled up onto it. "'Now what?' Jack Holloway wondered. "'They hear the airboat,' Rainsford told him. "'That's the way they acted yesterday when you were coming in with your machine.' He looked at the picnic table they'd been spreading under the featherleaf trees. "'Everything ready?' "'Everything but lunch. That won't be cooked for an hour yet. I see them now.' "'You have better eyes than I do, Jack. Oh, I see it. I hope the kids put on a good show for them,' he said anxiously. 
He'd been jittery ever since he arrived, shortly after breakfast. It wasn't that these people from Mallorysport were so important themselves. Ben had a bigger name in scientific circles than any of this company crowd. He was just excited about the fuzzies. The airboat grew from a barely visible speck and came spiralling down to land in the clearing. When it was grounded and off contragravity, they started across the grass towards it, and the fuzzies all jumped down from the bench and ran along with them. The three visitors climbed down. Ruth Ortheris wore slacks and a sweater, but the slacks were bloused over a pair of ankle-boots. Gerd van Riebeek had evidently done a lot of field-work. His boots were stout, and he wore old faded khakis and a serviceable-looking side-arm that showed he knew what to expect up here in the Piedmont. Juan Jimenez was in the same sports casuals in which he had appeared on screen last evening. All of them carried photographic equipment. They shook hands all around and exchanged greetings, and then the Fuzzies began clamouring to be noticed. Finally, all of them, Fuzzies and other people, drifted over to the table under the trees. Ruth Ortheris sat down in the grass with Mamma and Baby. Immediately Baby became interested in a silver charm which she wore on a chain around her neck, which tinkled fascinatingly. Then he tried to sit on her head. She spent some time gently but firmly discouraging this. Juan Jimenez was squatting between Mike and Mitzi, examining them alternately, and talking into a miniature recorder-phone on his breast, mostly in Latin. Gerd van Riebeek dropped himself into a folding chair, and took Little Fuzzy on his lap. "'You know, this is kind of surprising,' he said. "'Not only finding something like this after twenty-five years, but finding something as unique as this. Look, he doesn't have the least vestige of a tail, and there isn't another tailless mammal on the planet.' fact, there isn't another mammal on this planet that has the slightest kinship to him. Take ourselves, we belong to a pretty big family, about fifty-odd genera of primates. But this little fellow hasn't any relatives at all. Eek! And he couldn't care less, could he? Van Riebeek pummeled little Fuzzy gently. One thing, you have the smallest humanoid known. That's one record you can claim. Uh-oh, what goes on? Coco, who had climbed upon Rainsford's lap, jumped suddenly to the ground, grabbed the chopper-digger he had left beside the chair, and started across the grass. Everybody got to their feet, the visitors getting cameras out. The Fuzzies seemed perplexed by all the excitement. It was only another land-prawn, wasn't it? Coco got in front of it, poked it in the nose to stop it, and then struck a dramatic pose, flourishing his weapon and bringing it down on the prawn's neck. Then, after flopping it over, he looked at it almost in sorrow, and hit it a couple of whacks with the flat. He began pulling it apart and eating it. "'I see why you call him Coco,' Ruth said, aiming her camera. "'Don't the others do it that way?' Well, little Fuzzy runs along beside them and pivots and gives them a quick chop. Mike and Mitzi flop theirs over first and behead them on their backs, and Mamma takes a swipe at their legs first. But beheading and breaking the undershell, they all do that.' "'Aha! Uh -huh. That's basic,' she said. "'Instinctive. The technique is either self-learned or copied. When Baby begins killing his own prawn, see if he doesn't do it the way Mamma does.' "'Hey, look!' Jimenez cried. "'He's making a lobster pick for himself.' Through lunch they talked exclusively about fuzzies. The subjects of the discussion nibbled things that were given to them, and yeeked amongst themselves. Gerd van Riebeek suggested that they were discussing the odd habits of human-type people— Juan Jimenez looked at him, slightly disturbed, as though wondering just how seriously he meant it. 
"'You know, what impressed me most in the taped account was the incident of the damn thing,' said Ruth Ortheris. "'Any animal associating with man will try to attract attention if something's wrong. But I never heard of one, not even a Freyan Kolf or a Terran chimpanzee, that would use descriptive pantomime. Little Fuzzy was actually making a symbolic representation by abstracting the distinguishing characteristic of the damn thing.' "'Think that stiff-arm gesture and bark might have been intended to represent a rifle?' Gerd van Riebeek asked. "'He'd seen you shooting before, hadn't he?' "'I don't think it was anything else. He was telling me, "'Big nasty damn thing outside, shoot it like you did the harpy. "'And if he hadn't run past me and pointed back, that damn thing would have killed me.' Jimenez hesitantly said, "'I know I'm speaking from ignorance. You're the fuzzy expert. "'But isn't it possible that you're over-anthropomorphizing?' endowing them with your own characteristics and mental traits? Juan, I'm not going to answer that right now. I don't think I'll answer it at all. You wait until you've been around these fuzzies a little longer, and then ask it again. Only ask yourself. So you see, Ernst, that's the problem. Leonard Kellogg laid the words like a paperweight on the other words he had been saying, and waited. Ernst Mallon sat motionless, his elbows on the desk and his chin in his hands. A little pair of wrinkles, like parentheses, appeared at the corners of his mouth. "'Yes, I'm not a lawyer, of course, but—' "'It's not a legal question. It's a question for a psychologist.' That left it back with Ernst Mallon, and he knew it. "'I'd have to see them before I could express an opinion. You have that tape of Holloway's with you?' When Kellogg nodded, Mallon continued— did either of them make any actual, overt claim of sapience? He answered it as he had when Victor Grego had asked the same question, adding, "'The account consists almost entirely of Holloway's uncorroborated statements concerning things to which he claims to have been the sole witness.' "'Ah!' Mallon permitted himself a tight little smile. "'And he's not a qualified observer. Neither, for that matter, is Rainsford.' Regardless of his position as a xeno-naturalist, he is complete layman in the psychosciences. He's just taken this other man's statements uncritically. As for what he claims to have observed for himself, how do we know he isn't including a lot of erroneous inferences with his descriptive statements? How do we know he's not perpetrating a deliberate hoax? But, Leonard, that's a pretty serious accusation. It's happened before— that fellow who carved a late upland Martian inscription in that cave in Kenya, for instance, or Hellerman's claims to have crossbred Terran mice with Thorin Tilbras, or the Piltdown Man back in the first century pre-atomic. Mallon nodded. None of us like to think of a thing like that, but, as you say, it's happened. You know, this man Rainsford is just the type to do something like that, too. Fundamentally an individualistic egoist, badly adjusted personality type. Say he wants to make some sensational discovery which will assure him the position in the scientific world to which he believes himself entitled. He finds this lonely old prospector into whose isolated camp some little animals have strayed. The old man has made pets of them, taught them a few tricks, finally so projected his own personality onto him that he's convinced himself that they're people like himself. This is Rainsford's great opportunity. He'll present himself as the discovery of a new sapient race and bring the whole learned world to his feet. Mallon smiled again. Yes, Leonard, it's altogether possible. Then it's our plain duty to stop this thing before it develops into another major scientific scandal like Hellerman's hybrids. 
First we must go over this tape recording and see what we have on our hands. Then we must make a thorough, unbiased study of these animals, and show Rainsford and his accomplice that they cannot hope to foist these ridiculous claims on the scientific world with impunity. If we can't convince them privately, there'll be nothing to do but expose them publicly. I've heard the tape already, but let's play it off now. We want to analyse these tricks this man Holloway has taught these animals, and see what they show. Yes, of course, we must do that at once, Mallon said. "'Then we'll have to consider what sort of statement we must issue, "'and what sort of evidence we will need to support it.' "'After dinner was romp-time for Fuzzies on the lawn, "'but when dusk came, creeping into the ravine, "'they all went inside and were given one of their new toys from Mallory's port, "'a big box of many-coloured balls and short sticks of transparent plastic. "'They didn't know that it was a molecule model kit, "'but they soon found that the sticks would go into holes in the balls, "'and that they could be built into three-dimensional designs.' This was much more fun than the coloured stones. They made a few experimental shapes, then dismantled them, and began on a single large design. Several times they tore it down, entirely or in part, and began over again, usually with considerable yeeking and gesticulation. "'They have artistic sense,' Van Riebeek said. "'I've seen lots of abstract sculpture that wasn't half as good as that job they're doing.' "'Good engineering, too,' Jack said. "'They understand balance and centre of gravity.' They're basing it well, and not making it top-heavy. "'Jack, I've been thinking about that question I was supposed to ask myself,' Jimenez said. "'You know, I came out here loaded with suspicion. Not that I doubted your honesty. I just thought you'd let your obvious affection for the Fuzzies lead you into giving them credit for more intelligence than they possess. Now I think you've consistently understated it. Short of actual sapience, I've never seen anything like them.' "'Why short of it?' Van Riebeek asked. "'Ruth, you've been pretty quiet this evening. What do you think?' Ruth Ortheris looked uncomfortable. "'Gerd, it's too early to form opinions like that. I know the way they're working together looks like cooperation on an agreed-upon purpose, but I simply can't make speech out of that yeek-yeek-yeek.' "'Let's keep the talk and build a fire rule out of it,' Van Riebeek said. "'If they're working together on a common project, they must be communicating somehow.' It isn't communication, it's symbolization. You simply can't think sapiently except in verbal symbols. Try it. Not something like changing the spools on a recorder or field-stripping a pistol. They're just learned tricks. I mean ideas. How about Helen Keller? Rainsford asked. Mean to say she only started thinking sapiently after Anna Sullivan taught her what words were? No, of course not. She thought sapiently, and she only thought in sense imagery limited to feeling. She looked at Rainsford reproachfully. He'd knocked a breach in one of her fundamental postulates. Of course, she'd inherited the cerebro-neural equipment for sapient thinking. She let that trail off, before somebody asked her how she knew that the Fuzzies hadn't. I'll suggest, just to keep the argument going, that speech couldn't have been invented without pre-existing sapience, Jack said. Ruth laughed. "'Now you're taking me back to college. "'That used to be one of the burning questions "'in first-year psych students' bull sessions. "'By the time we got to be sophomores, "'we'd realised that it was only an egg-and-chicken argument "'and dropped it.' "'That's a pity,' Ben Rainsford said. "'It's a good question.' "'It would be, if it could be answered.' "'Maybe it can be,' Gerd said. "'There's a clue to it right there. "'I'll say that those fellows are on the edge of sapience, "'and it's an even-money bet which side.' "'I'll bet every sunstone in my bag they're over.' "'Well, maybe they're just slightly sapient,' Jimenez suggested. 
Ruth Ortheris hooted at that. "'That's like talking about being just slightly dead or just slightly pregnant,' she said. "'You either are or you aren't.' Gerd van Riebeek was talking at the same time. "'This sapience question is just as important in my field as yours, Ruth. Sapience is the result of evolution by natural selection, just as much as a physical characteristic, and it's the most important step in the evolution of any species, our own included.' "'Wait a minute, Gerd,' Rainsford said. "'Ruth, what do you mean by that? Aren't there degrees of sapience?' "'No, there are degrees of mentation, intelligence, if you prefer, just as there are degrees of temperature.' When psychology becomes an exact science like physics, we'll be able to calibrate mentation like temperature. But sapience is qualitatively different from non-sapience. It's more than just a higher degree of mental temperature. You might call it a sort of mental boiling point. I think that's a damn good analogy, Rainsford said. But what happens when the boiling point is reached? That's what we have to find out, Van Riebeek told him. That's what I was talking about a moment ago. We don't know any more about how sapience appeared today than we did in the year zero, or in the year 654 pre-atomic, for that matter. "'Wait a minute,' Jack interrupted. "'Before we go any deeper, let's agree on a definition of sapience.' Van Riebeek laughed. "'Ever try to get a definition of life from a biologist?' he asked. "'Or a definition of number from a mathematician?' "'That's about it.' Ruth looked at the Fuzzies, who were looking at their coloured ball construction, as though wondering if they could add anything more without spoiling the design. "'I'd say a level of mentation qualitatively different from non-sapience, in that it includes ability to symbolise ideas and store and transmit them, ability to generalise and ability to form abstract ideas. There, I didn't say a word about talk and build a fire, did I?' "'Little Fuzzy symbolises and generalises,' Jack said. "'He symbolises a damn thing by three horns, "'and he symbolises a rifle by a long thing that points and makes noises. "'Rifles kill animals. "'Harpies and damn things are both animals. "'If a rifle will kill a harpy, it'll kill a damn thing, too.' Juan Jimenez had been frowning in thought. He looked up and asked, "'What's the lowest known sapient race?' "'Yggdrasil Kugros, Gerd van Riebeek said promptly. "'Any of you ever been on Yggdrasil?' "'I saw a man shot once on Mimir for calling another man the son of a Kugra,' Jack said. "'The man who shot him had been on Yggdrasil and knew what he was being called.' "'I spent a couple of years among them,' Gerd said. "'They do build fires, I'll give them that. "'They char points on sticks to make spears, and they talk. "'I learned their language, all eighty-two words of it. "'I taught a few of the intelligentsia how to use machetes without maiming themselves.' and there was one mental giant I could trust to carry some of my equipment if I kept an eye on him, but I never let him touch my rifle or my camera. "'Can they generalise?' Ruth asked. "'Honey, they can't do nothing else but. Every word in their language is a high-order generalisation. Prusha, live thing. Nusha, bad thing. Dishta, thing to eat. Want me to go on? There are only seventy-nine more of them.' Before anybody could stop him, the communication screen got itself into an uproar. The Fuzzies all ran over in front of it, and Jack switched it on. The caller was a man in grey semi-formals. He had wavy grey hair and a face that looked like Juan Jimenez twenty years from now. "'Good evening. Holloway here.' "'Oh, Mr. Holloway, good evening.' The caller shook hands with himself, turning on a dazzling smile. "'I'm Leonard Kellogg, chief of the company's science division.' 
"'I just heard the tape you made about the... the fuzzies.' He looked down at the floor. "'Are these some of the animals?' "'These are the fuzzies.' He hoped it sounded like the correction it was intended to be. "'Dr. Bennett Rainsford's here with me now, and so are Dr. Jimenez, Dr. Van Riebeek, and Dr. Ortheris.' Out of the corner of his eye he could see Jimenez squirming as though afflicted with ants, Van Riebeek getting his poker-face battened down, and Ben Rainsford suppressing a grin. "'Some of us are out of screen range, and I'm sure you'll want to ask a lot of questions. Pardon us a moment while we close in.' He ignored Kellogg's genial protest that that wouldn't be necessary, until the chairs were placed facing the screen. As an afterthought, he handed Fuzzies around, giving Little Fuzzy to Ben, Coco to Gerd, Mitzi to Ruth, Mike to Jimenez, and taking Mamma and Baby on his own lap. Baby immediately started to climb up onto his head, as expected. It seemed to disconcert Kellogg, also as expected. He decided to teach Baby to thumb his nose when given some unobtrusive signal. "'Now, about that tape I recorded last evening,' he began. "'Yes, Mr. Holloway,' Kellogg's smile was getting more mechanical every minute. He was having trouble keeping his eyes off Baby. I must say, I was simply astounded at the high order of intelligence claimed for these creatures. "'And you wanted to see how big a liar I was. I don't blame you. I had trouble believing it myself at first. Kellogg gave a musically blithe laugh, showing even more dental equipment.' "'Oh, no, Mr. Holloway, please don't misunderstand me. I never thought anything like that.' "'I hope not,' Ben Rainsford said, not too pleasantly. "'I vouched for Mr. Holloway's statements, if you'll recall.' "'Of course, Bennett, that goes without saying. Permit me to congratulate you upon a most remarkable scientific discovery, an entirely new order of mammals.' "'Which may be the ninth extrasolar sapient race,' Rainsford added. "'Good heavens, Bennett!' Kellogg jettisoned his smile and slid on a look of shocked surprise. "'You surely can't be serious.' He looked again at the Fuzzies, pulled the smile back on, and gave a light laugh. "'I thought you'd heard that tape,' Rainsford said. "'Of course, and the things reported there are most remarkable. But sapiences? Just because they've been taught a few tricks and used sticks and stones for weapons?' He got rid of the smile again, and quick changed to seriousness. Such an extreme claim must only be made after careful study. "'Well, I won't claim they're sapient,' Ruth Ortheris told him, "'not until the day after tomorrow at the earliest. But they very easily could be. They have learning and reasoning capacity equal to that of any eight-year-old heron-human child, and well above that of the adults of some recognisedly sapient races. And they have not been taught tricks. They have learned by observation and reasoning.' "'Well, Dr. Kellogg, mentation levels isn't my subject.' Jimenez took it up. But they do have all the physical characteristics shared by other sapient races. Lower limbs specialized for locomotion, and upper limbs for manipulation. Erect posture, stereoscopic vision, color perception, hand with opposing thumb. All the characteristics we consider as prerequisite to the development of sapience. "'I think they're sapient myself,' Gerd van Riebeek said. "'But that's not as important as the fact that they're on the very threshold of sapience.' This is the first race of this mental level anybody's ever seen. I believe that study of the Fuzzies will help us solve the problem of how sapience developed in any race. Kellogg had been labouring to pump up a head of enthusiasm. Now he was ready to valve it off. But this is amazing. This will make scientific history. 
"'Now, of course, you all realise how pricelessly valuable these fuzzies are. "'They must be brought at once to Mallorysport, "'where they can be studied under laboratory conditions by qualified psychologists, and—' "'No.' Jack lifted Baby Fuzzy off his head and handed him to Mamma and set Mamma on the floor. That was reflex. The thinking part of his brain knew he didn't need to clear for action when arguing with the electronic image of a man twenty-five hundred miles away. "'Just forget that part of it and start over.' he advised. Kellogg ignored him. "'Gerd, you have your airboat. Fix up some nice, comfortable cages.' "'Kellogg!' The man in the screen stopped talking and stared in amazed indignation. It was the first time in years he'd been addressed by his naked patronymic, and possibly the first time in his life he'd been shouted at. "'Didn't you hear me the first time, Kellogg? Then stop gibbering about cages. These fuzzies are not being taken anywhere.' "'But, Mr. Holloway, don't you realise that these little beings must be carefully studied? Don't you want them given their rightful place in the hierarchy of nature?' "'If you want to study them, come out here and do it. That's so long as you don't annoy them, or me. As far as study's concerned, they're being studied now. Dr. Rainsford's studying them, and so are three of your people. And when it comes to that, I'm studying them myself.' "'And I'd like you to clarify that remark about qualified psychologists,' Ruth Ortheris added, in a voice approaching zero Kelvin. "'You wouldn't be challenging my professional qualifications, would you?' "'Oh, Ruth, you know I didn't mean anything like that. Please don't misunderstand me,' Kellogg begged. "'But this is highly specialised work.' "'Yes. How many fuzzy specialists have you at Science Centre, Leonard?' Rainsford wanted to know. "'The only one I can think of is Jack Holloway here.' "'Well, I'd thought of Dr. Mallon, the company's head psychologist. "'He can come, too, just as long as he understands "'that he'll have to have my permission for anything he wants to do with the fuzzies,' "'Jack said. "'When can we expect you?' "'Kellogg thought some time late the next afternoon. "'He didn't have to ask how to get to the camp. "'He made a few efforts to restore the conversation to its original note of cordiality, "'gave that up as a bad job, and blanked out. "'There was a brief silence in the living-room.' Then Jimenez said reproachfully, "'You certainly weren't very gracious to Dr. Kellogg, Jack. Maybe you don't realise it, but he's a very important man.' "'He isn't important to me, and I wasn't gracious to him at all. It doesn't pay to be gracious to people like that. If you are, they always try to take advantage of it.' "'Why, I didn't know you knew, Len,' Van Riebeek said. "'I never saw the individual before. The species is very common and widely distributed.' He turned to Rainsford. "'You think he and this Mallon will be out tomorrow?' "'Of course they will. This is a little too big for underlings and non-company people to be allowed to monkey with. You know, we'll have to watch out, or in a year we'll be hearing from terror about the discovery of a sapient race on Zarathustra, Fuzzy Fuzzy Kellogg. As Juan says, Dr. Kellogg is a very important man. That's how he got important.' End of chapter 5